Welcome to episode 28 of the e for Life podcast, your home for esports, entrepreneurship, education, and entertainment. I'm one of your hosts, Marcus Howard, and our featured guest for this episode is none other than Trinidad Armida. She's a board member at multiple organizations, including Latinx and Gaming, and a cool new company called Beamable that's democratizing access to game development for professionals around the world, helping it become more accessible for people of all backgrounds to get into the gaming industry. She recently was the head of diversity and inclusion at Niantic for nearly three years. And if that company's name sounds familiar, it's because that's the one that publishes and produces the popular mobile game, Pokemon Go. A few weeks ago, she made the courageous decision to leave Niantic to actually start her own company. Because despite really appreciating the value of working for another company, she wanted to have her own ownership and equity in her success and her future. So in this episode, she talks a bit about her background, her inspiration for and challenges in making that decision to strike out on her own. She also talks about the importance of authentic inclusion. And then the group, all of us, discuss how underrepresented communities can either get a seat at the table or build our own tables and the need to build our own tables if we're not getting a seat at the table. Uh, typically, we do live stream this episode, these episodes every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. But unfortunately, last night we did have a technical error that broke up the live stream. So our super producer, Rich Butler, is stitching together this episode. So the next voice you'll hear, or voices you'll hear, are Trinidad and the other co-hosts, Sebastian, Tamika, and Derek. So let me get out of the way without further ado, and let's jump right into the episode. Enjoy. So, <laughs> he'll come back eventually. He'll, he'll um, come back. He'll come back. So, let me step back two steps. What made me take the step of, what didn't make me take the step of faith for a long time was fear. So, I had fear that I was going to fail, fear that I wasn't going to be able to provide. Um, that risk factor um, in the Black and Brown community is one that, blocks people from being able to try something new or possibly go into a new industry that they're not comfortable with because they don't know. And our parents, and this is part to the piece, Marcus, that I wrote in your book, is our parents were, are never going to try and steer us in the wrong direction. So our parents are going to do what they know, right? Which is a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a preacher. Um, I picked the preacher because that was the easiest one out of all of them. And, you know, and I also felt called. And so going in that direction, um, you know, education was always something that I'm curious, like by nature. So I'm always going to like try and read a new book or try and learn something new. And when I got into the space of um, corporate America through EMC squared, it was a, a big tech company back in the day. And when I call it the filet mignon of big data, like we, we didn't cut any corners, you know, and when we got acquired by mm -hmm. Dell, it was a huge adjustment. And what I mean by a huge adjustment is Dell is like multiple, like mass production. EMC was like intricate. We got your, your personal, you know, you got your menu here, pick what you want a la carte. And we're going to charge you for all of that la carte right there. Um, but knowing when I got out to EMC and realizing I had to shuck and jive in the sense of like, wear the suit, wear the heels, like pull my hair back, look professional. Like that was a boot camp for me because my boss, 
God I knows I love her so much. Her name is Jackie Glenn. She's a Jamaican woman who is on fire, uh, was the chief diversity officer, and she put me and whipped me into shape in all aspects. And so all, all to say that um, working for her was boot camp and it created this understanding of the culture of corporate America, which showed me that nowhere is safe. You know, and we we tote in these conversations that we're building safe places for people of color when, you know, anybody and everybody who I thought I trusted somehow some way stabbed me in the back because they were they felt my power and couldn't handle it. And they would think, why would this woman come into the room and tell me what I need to do to be more inclusive? Who is she? I'm like, well, sir, mm-hmm. sir, I was hired to do this job. You know, like this is why. <laughs> right. And um so I had to learn quickly how to navigate not only the white man, but the white woman and um, any person who felt um, intimidated by me. And so mm-hmm. I did I did that. And then I was like, you know, what? maybe this DNI thing is not for me. So then I went into product management, which I was herding cats in that arena in tech at Dell and doing product management was cool. But the thing that I, it lacked was the passion for me. It lacked the vision and the mission. I didn't feel like. I was affecting a product in our, in our bottom line, our sales, right? I wasn't affecting people. And so although I'm able to navigate people, I didn't have that, that drive. So it, it brought me back to a, a place of reflection where I was like, wow, like I really do love people and impacting people. I love impacting policy and I like being able to change the narrative. And so that's what led me to Niantic. I left Dell. I started, I was the first head of diversity and inclusion at Niantic and I was able to have this blank slate, bro. Like, you know, like I was just like, what do you think this, you know, will change the world? And I was like, oh, (laughs) um, and then I was able to do that. So then Working at Niantic, I worked really closely with the CEO. I worked really closely with leadership and they let me, they let me utilize my genius. And that's what was, that's what made Niantic and myself successful on that, on that run, you know, because they gave me a budget, they gave me a team, they gave me the ability to build something that is not going to just be surrounded by me. They let me deposit something. They let me um, create a plan that, you know, if they choose to, they can, they can do. And when I was getting all these offers from these different companies, because DNI since George Floyd's death, like let's just be real, like blew up. Yeah. Like, I'm a DNI person. The, the George they, Floyd curve is what I call no, it. Like, and, <laughs> but the issue with me, me with me and that is, it's like, oh, let me put a bandaid over a, go, a gaping wound. Let me let me just hire someone as a program manager for a fifty plus thousand company, you know, just to just to just to get everybody to calm down. And I'm just like, bro, like tell a black woman to calm down and see what happens, you know? And so like all that to say is I realized there's more, like, first off, I, Niantic was one of the best jobs I've ever had. So I don't really see myself going from Niantic to go somewhere else. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, but in that, and during the season, I was like, hmm but I want to be able to help more people. I want to be able to touch more businesses. And so that's where the desire to do my own thing came out of. Mm. So, and, and that's why I'm doing it. And let me tell you, it's the best, craziest, most faith walk I've ever been on my life. Like God provided already one contract, which is a big one that's sustaining me right now. But then 
I'm also like when business comes in, like I am a woman of integrity. Like I, I I'm big on like meeting my commitments and not dropping balls. But I also have to realize like, oh my gosh, maybe this is not the time for this. Like prioritization, like I'm learning that because I want to help everybody, but not everybody is ready for what I'm about to bring to the table. So um, Mm -hmm. that's that's a small, that took a half an hour. Anyways, that's (laughs) how how I got to this point of starting my own business. Oh, and I have an augmented reality company too. Wow. That's so sad. Let me ask you as a, as, from a uh, diversity and inclusion perspective, can diversity and inclusion not be uncomfortable? No, it will always be uncomfortable for everybody, including the people who are marginalized. And then in a company that is employing a diversity and inclusion director, can a diversity and inclusion director really be successful? Yes, with the right team, budget, support, and community of people within the organization and out who are willing to put their hand to the plow. If not, no. And what is, what, what is successful diversity and inclusion? Being able to not even have a diversity and inclusion person because the company is a community that um, is like, I am because we are. The, like, what is that, Ubuntu? Um, being able to see that we're better together, that we're better when we collaborate, having balanced teams and having taking ego out of the picture and looking at ways that we can all utilize our genius for the betterment of the company. I mean, I, I, I think the thing that I'm realizing is a lot of some people are on the train of I need to work for a company and those people need to work for a company where they feel like they can be empowered, where they feel like they have equity. And what I mean by equity is this gap of knowledge. There's a huge gap of knowledge in all industries, but let me just focus on gaming. Um, I can't say that my parents worked in gaming before I did. So just think about that and coming into the industry and not automatically having a mentor, not automatically having someone who believes that I'm the right person for the job. You, you know, it depends on who your manager is, right? I call the managers the frozen chosen because they're really sandwiched in between leadership and individual contributors. And if they don't understand um, how to be the best manager to uh, marginalize gender or ethnicity, I'm already at a disadvantage. I'm coming in at a disadvantage and then I have to learn how to navigate that space. So ideal work environment would be one that is balanced. And I like using the word balanced more than diverse because um, a balance, like there, there's been totes of like, oh, so we're just going to fire all the white guys. No, like you need, you need some people with historical knowledge who are willing to share that historical knowledge. And you also need people who, who don't look like us on this call, right? So that we can come and look at our products, look at the games, look at whatever we're working on and come from different perspectives to help each other out to really think, but that's uncomfortable. And a lot of people don't like having like, Hey, Derek, um, I don't, I don't like the way that you colored that, that, you know, that background, like why? And then I'm giving you the reasons why. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who are colorblind. So don't use the blue, right. Or don't use the red. Like it's an uncomfortable conversation because I have to tell you something that you know, is not necessarily something that I like, but I have a reasoning behind it. And I have an understanding. And then Derek receiving that and being like, oh, bro, I didn't even know that. Like, my bad. Like, you know, and we work together. That builds our relationship and that builds the eat like the economy within the space that is going to help people to have tough conversations like microaggressions, 
all those things in a bag of chips. So the part about diversity and inclusion that I, I never see getting discussed is the power part of it. I always seem like the, the effort is to make the room colorful, um, but yet the power still stays where it's at uh, currently. And as an organization, should I be comfortable with giving my power to someone else for the sake of being diverse and inclusive? As the person with the power in the room, I should always want the power, right? I, I sh- it, it doesn't make sense to hand the power off to someone else. So, I mean, the question that you're asking is interesting because if I want to lit, like if I want my company to be a forever company, even anybody else who you're adding, it's because you're adding people to add value to the company, correct? So if I know that having a balanced room of people who are smarter than me in the room and I'm the CEO, I'm going to want someone to come in and not necessarily take my power, but to empower the whole company, right? Like, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm not your typical CEO because I don't think about power in the power dynamics of the white man. Now, if I was a white man, would I feel some kind of way if a black woman came to the CEO suite and she's a COO or a chief people officer or chief finance officer? No, because I know that I need her or him or whoever to come in and bring their genius because that's not my superpower. Now, I think that if there isn't an understanding of intent, that's where power starts to get wishy-washy. If someone's trying to come in and, and do a coup, you know, and take over the whole thing, that's a different situation. I don't know. I don't know if I'm understanding your question. I mean, I think that people are afraid when, and I mean, we historically see this when a group of people of color get together and start to build and create something phenomenal, fear sets in because it's like, oh, snap, what are we going to do? You know, like I see Tupac, I see um, the Black Panthers, I see like historical times in history where systems, collectives have been destroyed because of fear. That's fear. And it's like, what do you have to have fear of if you're supposed to be so-called this and that? So, um, like, even, you know, to Derek's point on what he was saying, and um, I forgot someone had put something on LinkedIn and I had reshared it. It's like, you'll hear about diversity in a company, but if you look at the pyramid, it's always the people of color at the bottom, and then there's a select few, and they choose what group of people of color to actually choose to be even on top of them, but they never get to be on the that first and second tier line. They'll just get to be on the fourth and fifth. Like, you know, we see that a, a lot of times too, to Derek's point of the power, you know, electing who gets to have power and a seat at the table, not someone that's at the kitty table or not even able to get into the lunchroom type situation. So, you know what my solution is to that? What? We need to build our own, exactly. build our our own and then build it like, and then start to balance it out on our own. Right. Like, because I, I do think that there's a beauty in being able to see a collective of people work together for a common good. But if your vision, it's something, if you have a vision, it's like, how do I go about building this vision? And when I say that it's not, I'm, I'm saying that like build your own, like it's easy. None of this is easy. Right. Like, so I'm not going to I'm not going to make it seem like it's like, oh, let me just build my own. But there's disparities. There's redlining. There's there's blackball. There's all this kind of stuff that that we're up against. 
Um, but I think that with a lot of companies saying, and I'm going to say this in air quotes, that they support, they're supporting all these things because of all the things that have happened over the last couple of years, this is the right time to build and ask and, and then call them on their bluff. For sure. <laughs> if you don't mind, Derek and Trinidad, can you talk a bit about the event from two weeks ago with Epic Games? You know, obviously, Epic Games has some some history with, with monetizing Black culture, the Black community through the dances. They probably made billions of dollars off of microtransactions related to that. Um, and, and then, you know, they, they sponsored that event to try to uh, bridge the gap or at least start the conversation around trying to bridge the gap. Can you, you speak to that and what your thoughts were and, and is that the right approach and what should they be doing next? Because I'm sure other companies in the space need to hear that. Oh, so I'll go first. Um, I don't know. The Gemini and me has a challenge with diversity and inclusion. Diversity and inclusion. Um, but I also recognize that we can't really get the true solution from it because we're not in a position of power. So anytime that we're trying to champion for diversity and inclusion, it's always going to be coming from a a begging position. It's not coming from a position of any power. It's almost like, hey, I think I should be in the party. Can you please let me in the party? And then if you let me in the party, I'll show you how valuable I am and how much it makes to add me to the party. Um, And being from that position of no power, any diversity and inclusion talks is almost like, really, what are we really gaining um, if we don't really have power? Two, um, I never see these diversity and inclusion talks actually discuss uh, inclusion on economics and what does that look like? So let's use uh, Microsoft, for example. They say, um, I want to increase my diversity and inclusion efforts. From a dollar perspective, what does that mean? So if, if, if Microsoft makes a billion dollars, how much of that billion dollars that comes in through the doors needs to be diversified? And then specifically, how much of that money needs to go to women? How much of that money needs to go to uh, black people, et cetera? And I don't know if those conversations are really being had. If, if, if Microsoft makes a billion dollars, how much of that uh, is black people deserving of getting? And I don't think anyone will ever ask that question. Uh, because no matter what you say to that answer, it's going to sound crazy. Like if you say, well, I think every billion dollars we get, uh, about 200,000 should be going to black people. That's, that sounds crazy. If you say, oh, every billion we make, a million should go to black people. That's going to sound crazy. Uh, so we don't have those discussions. And so then we get excited about seeing black faces in events, seeing black faces in positions uh, on an org chart, which is really not inclusion or economic empowerment, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's one of those things where, like, for me, it's kind of like what Trinidad said. It's like I've been on some, you know, build your own type type energy for the last couple of years, especially with esports, because it's really not about like really not about diversity and inclusion as much as it's about saying the words diversity and inclusion. Red, you always talking about that uh, hot button topic words. It's like that. It's like it's, not, it's common sense that. Even the way the games are getting sold, even the way everything is done, it's done set up so that there's two classes. <clears throat> and we're just we just happen to be in the esports space early enough to see it early. So I'm hoping that we could try to prevent it. Cause the fact of the matter is the people at the top see it the opposite way. They're like, nah, this is going great. 
I'm making all the money. I'm doing what I'm doing. This is going, this is perfect for me. So they're not trying to have those tough conversations. Um, and we're definitely not trying to have a, have a, a bunch changing when it's working. If I was getting rich right now, I wouldn't want a bunch to change. So I understand that, but I think it's important for, for us to keep having these conversations and really um, kind of to D's point, it's like <clears throat> ownership is really going to be what, what, what changes it. Like that's really going to be it. It's ownership. Because if you go somewhere and you tell them you don't like something, they could try to make it work for you. But even if they need you, they only need you until you're irreplaceable. And if you don't own it, you always are replaceable. You can only not replace the owner, the top person. You know what I'm saying? So if you you could be replaceable. Even CFOs and number twos and number threes in companies go out and then they bring in a new person who could do those tasks. Only the owner, the intellectual property owner. And sometimes they even try to move Steve Jobs about an Apple. So really, you got to just... um you know, have some ownership to get that real conversation of like, this is how we do things. This is how we see things. We do business like this. Um, we have a culture that's like this. We don't tolerate none of this. Um, and I think you guys are right. I just think the challenge is, what is, I don't see a lot of people out here willing to sacrifice what it takes to really be an owner. You know, like I don't see a lot of people. I see a couple people and that's men and female in the esports space. I don't see a lot of people really willing to sacrifice. They really want to do what they see as an opportunity. But as soon as the opportunity isn't like something that you can easily get, it seems like it all dissipates. And I think that goes into why it takes so long for us to build something on our own, you know? And I'm talking to somebody who's been four years in the grind with an agency, right? Like Gold Standard Gaming is 2017. So at this point, I've been four years in the grind with the agency. And I feel like I, I look at my contemporaries and I wonder, like, it could be easy to sign up with a company. Like Trinidad says, some people want to go and join a company and, and that's great. Entrepreneurship is great. It's not wrong with that. Don't get it twisted. Like, I think that's really great, but to get that ownership thing that Derek was just talking about, y'all heard it to get that you got to be able to go through and suffer through when, and, and you know, we black and Brown. So, you know, you're going to have less resources. You already know in that that's like, you're going to have that. But at this point in 2021, it's not 2010 no more. It's not 2005 no more. You know, you could bootstrap and start up and come together. And Marcus, you're a great example of that because you do it live, like on stage every day. So I just want to see more people committed to they grind and to they hustle instead of like trying to join every accelerator, trying to join, um, or or trying to get, you know, every single company that put a job out, you try to apply to it. Like, I get that. Get your money. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not dumb. You got to eat. But it's like, I just want for that ownership piece, people to really step up and do like uh, what I see with High Point Gamer, um, you know, or uh, Metarena um, or any of these other fabulous companies. Um, I really want to see more of that because I don't think these things that we're talking about, the more I ponder it over these weeks and weeks and years, we talk about it. I don't really see an opportunity um, working with these companies where they're going to prioritize it in the way that we want it prioritized. It's not that they're not going to put a little piece up. Oh, 2% of the industry. If we get that to 5%, then, oh my God, it's amazing. Write a PR piece. I'm talking about like 97%. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about?
That's how do we get the, the investors though? Go ahead, Trinidad. There you go. I, I, I've been at this 10 years now and, and I have seen around the country, you know, people of color who don't invest in gaming. I, it's been my experience and maybe anecdotal. There are the people who invest in uh, gaming and esports don't invest in uh, founders from marginalized groups. And then the, the groups that invest the venture capitalists that invest in marginalized groups don't invest in gaming and esports. So you have this gap where like our community is not getting the resources we need to scale. You know, Derek knows firsthand there's a, a gentleman here in, in Tampa Bay who has a platform that's basically LinkedIn for gamers. The platform is done and ready to go live. He just needs a $60,000 check to pay the invoice and then he could be running his company and he can't get that locally. He can get it across the state. He's applied all over the place and can't get that money. But there are these organizations that say we support, you know, the underrepresented founders that are just not cutting the checks. Even where you all spoke at, you know, two weeks ago, I've been trying to get them to take esports and gaming seriously for four, maybe five years now. And that event with Epic Games is like the first time that I've seen them. And it's it's a, a VC group of, of, of black and, and Hispanic or Latinx founders or sorry, investors. So how do we bridge that gap? Like they have the money, they appreciate the culture. Like how do we get the funds into the innovators to build this ownership and this equity for the entire community? Because when you have like a, I'll say play versus, right? That That's at least a black founder. That, that money, I don't think is going back into the black community. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> It'd be like that. <laughs> I'm not, even touch, I'm not even going to touch what you just said. I'm going to keep moving forward because in these last and evil days, there's one thing that I won't do is talk about another person of color. Um, so they can, they can, they, they have to answer to God on, on all of their transactions. <laughs> um, now, as far as these VCs that tote and say that they're sp- supporting um, black and Brown folk, I think that um one thing that I noticed in the in our community particularly is we don't come together enough. You know, we don't come together and support each other. And what I mean by that is if a group of folks and like and a lot of times, a lot of times we're keeping separate. We keep like we're trying to hold our own and be like, oh, I got this. I got this VC that might be yeah. talking to me. Let me keep it to myself because I don't want anybody else to go there and take my money. Like, bro, like. These white folks and Asian folks are sharing contacts, sharing connects, because guess what? There's enough for everybody. And the the thing is also is that they share their cheat codes. They share their decks. They share what their contract was. They share how they made in their contract. And then they come together and they form random new companies so they can get more money together. Like why, why there's a curse I keep on saying this and people think I'm a radical Christian. I kind of am is I believe that there's generational curses. And I think there's a generational curse between, Oh Lord, I'm going to go there between the house slave and the slave that was in the fields. And like this divide of, no, I got my money. So I'm going to keep, you know, doing this the way that I can. And y'all aren't cultured enough to know how to do this. So I'm not going to teach programming. It's, 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 it's programming that was programmed from the beginning. And it's like, now now we see there's so many things popping off. Like, let's just talk about Web3 in the metaverse, right? It's like, all right, let's say, let's say it's a new season. Do you know how many people are getting 
funded millions of dollars for a metaverse that hasn't even been created yet. Just being yep. able to have an idea around a DAO, around Web3, around blockchain, around cryptocurrency. And I know at least two Black men that are building a game on blockchain right now, at least two. I'm saying there's more, right? That and are struggling to get funding when a white person can walk into a VC and say, I'm thinking about creating a DAO and get millions of dollars dropped into their account without something. We, we see it. And even in Florida with, with magic leap, nobody knows what magic leap does right until maybe last year or the year before we knew that they were working something, but Google just dropped. Nobody asked like, why would Google drop that much money into an organization that hasn't shown one, ounce of actual prototype or product. It's the little things, right? And so for me, I'm at this point where I'm like, yo, I don't want to fight you anymore. And there's a lack of trust in the community that we actually do things just to do them with each other. Because a lot of us, I'll speak for myself, I have been stabbed in the back multiple times by people who say that they're there coming for me or they care about me or they want to see. I've had ideas taken. Thank God I'm an idea generator so I can always create more. (laughs) Jokes on you. But, you know, like I've had all these different things happen. Right. And if and I I know I talk a lot about my my relationship with God, but if I didn't have that relationship with God where I'm able to actually forgive, I would have stayed bitter bro and never move forward because I'm just like, ah, F all y'all are trash (laughs) and I'm not going to do anything in life. No, like, because I'm able to like say, you know what, bro, like take all that, have fun with it, you know, and I'm going to create something else. That's where I'm at today. And I'm always no strings attached, giving contacts, information, access, because guess what? I'm only one person. I can't take all those contacts. I can't take all that money. I could, but I wouldn't be able to do it justice because a Marcus knows how to do esports better than I. A Red Infamy knows how to do, like all y'all are better than me in some form or fashion, right? So instead of me trying to connect and collect, like take all this to myself, I'm trying to give them away. But the thing is, is there are generations out there who don't know how to receive number one, and also generations that don't know how to say thank you when they do receive. And so what does that make people like me do? not want to give you anything, not want to share anything because you're ungrateful and you don't want to, you don't want to like glean and learn. That's the whole nother conversation for another day. So then, you know, going back to the, to what you mentioned before, I'm not sure if, if people, you know, who are black folk and brown folk who are receiving these funds have been taught in their generation of teaching from their parents or lack thereof of parenting, right? Because, we suffer from, you know, not having parents because of the, the, just the system, let's just say the whole system in general. And, and now I have uncle Joe, who's a white man, who's a VC, who's my, my mentor. And he's not, he's not telling me like, give back to your community. He's telling me, oh, you should invest in this because then it's going to continue making you money. Now, when this person ends up broke by broke, because they didn't have the, the real, education or the equity gap that was supposed to be there, then they'll realize like, wow, like I really just stepped on a whole community of people and I only cared about myself. And now all I have is myself. There's a whole generation of basketball players and football players who ended up in their mom's basement because nobody wanted to give them the cheat codes on how to actually invest and build. And now they're, they're, they're figments of our imaginations. They're legends that are hometown legends that are 
still at home. And that's, that's a disparity. That's a curse. That's a challenge. And I'm tired of those, those curses and challenge. So I say, you know, it broke, I broke the curse with, with my generation. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I share all of my knowledge with my nephews, my nieces. I'm going to tell them what the cheat codes are. I'm going to allow them to take risks because I couldn't, right? Like, so for me, I could be selfish and be like, I got my funds. I got my check. No, like I tell them, I don't have any kids. So I tell all my nieces and nephews, which are not even blood nieces and nephews, right? I tell them like, Hey, take this job at, at, at Coinbase, take this job at Uber. If, if you fail, I got your back. I have a room. We will get you back up. You know what I mean? Like, all, like, because I didn't get that chance. My parents exactly. did not have an opportunity to go to an Uber or uh, Apple when Apple started or a Lyft and or Coinbase and IPO. They, they didn't even know what IPO meant, bro. So like now we have all these companies that are coming up out of nowhere. Like even Clubhouse. We talk about Clubhouse and that that you know that life of fame that they had. Like Clubhouse was about to IPO. They were hiring people, right? Like it it may have been a risk cuz we don't even know what's going to happen to Clubhouse. But guess what? Niece, nephew, neighbor, neighbor's child I'm going to tell all y'all to go there and try it out. And guess what? I'll take the hit if you can't do it because, because I can't, I'm not, I'm, I'm 40. I'm not, I'm not old, but you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I don't know how many more IPOs are in me, you know what I'm saying? But that's also, <laughs> might be, that also might be a, my, my frame of mind or a disparity. So I do think that, um, and being a founder of an augmented reality company, people could be like, bro, like, there's so many augmented reality companies out there. I'm not trying to make glasses, Niantic. I'm not trying to make glasses, Microsoft. I'm I'm trying to create experiences for small businesses, for black and brown folks, yeah. for, for athletes, for musicians, and letting them see that this tech could work for them. Like we can actually build tech that can help you take a reality or a parking lot or a house and transform it right before your eyes so that people can really immerse into an experience that you've created. Now, are there other people who are doing that? Probably, but guess what? Those other people aren't me and they don't have the creative energy that I do and they don't think like I do. So that's my, my co-founder sauce, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like we see a ton of hair braiders out there, but why are there a ton? Because they all have gifts and they all do them differently. And we all like different people for different reasons. I love my hairstylist because of the ambiance in her salon. I just go there and I forget about the world, right? Is, is it about the color? Is it about, no, it's about the feeling of the person. And so what all I'm trying to say to everybody who's listening is whatever your genius is, whatever your passion is, like baby steps, baby, baby. Like if just try tapping into that imposter syndrome is, is a, a, a tactic of society to keep you in a box and make you feel like you're not, you're not supposed to be somewhere. And who created that? We all know it's a, it's a part of systemic racism. I mean, even human resources and how human resources was set, set up within systems. Do you realize back in the day that people were doing their own businesses and living their best lives, either working on a farm or had something some way, like you go to an Island and you say, there's the, there's the fishers, there's the farmers, there's the people, you know, like, but the, the, the government and the system had to figure out a way to get, how do we get people to come work for us? 
How do we get people to stop doing what they're doing and providing for their family and come work for us? Let's dangle these golden handcuffs. Let's dangle that we'll pay you more and you have vacation two weeks a year, you know, if that, right? Like, you know, like it's just mm-hmm. our minds are so stuck in, in what is safe. And that safety comes at a cost. Okay, I'll stop there because I can go on for hours. I'll stop. No, it's true. It was, it's so true. I mean, that's what our parents, you know, being from, if they were immigrants or um, just being here in the States period, they just seen that the safe, whatever was safe worked because that's something that they probably could control a little bit. So um, the risk factors that we're doing now with our generation is at an all time high, but it doesn't have to stop or be stagnated because of the imposter syndrome, like what you was talking about. Well, um, if you're suffering from imposter syndrome out there, I hope that tonight's <laughs> episode has helped you. And I mean that. I mean that. Like, I hope it's helped you see um, two things, especially uh, um, my minority folks out there and everybody watching. Right. Um, first of all, there's a real conversation we have on this show. So nobody's perfect and no we're not blaming anybody specifically you know people a lot of times hit me up and go chosen we feel like you know you you just want to blame people or say you know it's the man well we're just using history and the facts in it to kind of level the playing field on what's going on with these future generations as everybody here has been saying and i feel like gaming is in that place where like it's crazy to me if you think that we're gonna have like someone like um phase clan go live with an ipo to get people to buy stocks in something that they're putting value on when just like three months ago they players was getting people to buy cryptocurrency that they was putting value on <laughs> it was fake so it's like it's just crazy this is because of the way things are right like the way things are is the way things are now forward <laughs> right and so that's how that's what someone would say in the 50s when it was like, whoa, they have one black guy in the league. It's like that at that time, it was like, this is a big change. This is the kind of trickle that gaming is looking like it's going to try to have. And we can knock that whole wall down right now by being like, yo, Activision, it's not cool that at your office. The ladies don't feel safe. At your stadiums, the Department of Justice is investigating you because you're not paying the Overwatch players right. And then on your game, every kid knows that these racist little white boys be on there saying racist shit all the time. Can I talk to that? Like, so I got a VR headset, right? mm Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that playroom is where all the kids are stuck. It's almost like a purgatory. Like, I think if your parent, your parent has to give you like access to like being able to go into other places within the game. And I, it was just day one. I put it on and like, yo, these kids are trolls. And I didn't realize how much of a troll these kids could be is like, they are learning toxicity within this space. And, and they're just like, it's so funny. Cause my brother, um, uh was like he's really tall he's six foot three but he was when he set up his vr he was on the floor like you know like he was just he was being lazy and putting it on the floor but when he got up this kid's like 
damn, he talked like, and he started trolling him. And I was like, what? And he's like, let's get out of here. Like, I mean, like we're adults and we were like, bro, this is not cool. Like, right. And imagine kids who, who may have like low self-esteem or they're trying to go into the game to build a community and they're being like tore down. But anyways, I just was like, I got trolled. it's, It's true. It's true. It's true. And this is the thing we're living in this time. Right. So I try to explain to people like, you know, Martin Luther King and them had to stop taking the bus. You know what I'm saying? Like they had to just stop and buses was new. Buses just came out like 10 years ago. It was brand new, right? Now Xbox is new. They just came out like 10, 15 years ago. Y'all better start walking. You better start walking because if you don't, if you keep getting on the bus, then the bus company ain't never gonna stop making you sit in the back. So you but, gotta but start. The thing is, we're divided. That's the curse, right? You can we ever see a group of black and brown people come together like the majority and say it wasn't until I'm like, I don't want to go there. That like it's where we have, we like trauma porn. It's usually like we it has to be a form of trauma for all of us to come together. How about for us to wake up? Yeah, that's the only time. It, it's not always for something. Okay, this is what we need to do. This is how we we're never in a hive mind with that. We understand trauma, built off of trauma in recent you know in recent times from our ancestors. You know, of course, and then as soon as it happens. It's like, okay, we come together. And then I, in like three days, that's it. And three days is like, well, I forgot. Yeah. And why are you looking at me? And it's like, it's like, come on. There's Mm. things for us to do. And just like Trinidad, there's a lot out there for us to grab. You know, it's it's more than just 40 acres. Like it's, it's way, since we're in these digital times, like it's way more for us to do and, it's the wild, wild west and it's the start of it. So we all, like I said, the form in Voltron period, it just has to, it has to happen in so many different um, entities. And it's right there. Well, like so, I said, oh, go ahead, sorry, please. Sorry, Sebastian. I was going to say, so like the whole concept of a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, right, is supposed to build generational wealth within the organization. If we can't come together enough, like get a mass of us together to build something that it's going to fail. So like that whole concept of like, we create our own coin, we create our own system. We on, you know, and we, we, we call the rules. We say what the rules are. You see our white and Asian counterparts thriving. That's why we see a Chinatown in every major city, bro. That's why we know that if we're going to get our nails done, it's probably going to be by someone who's Vietnamese. Like there's just like, there's just certain things where you know, and do you think that the, all the Vietnamese like working at the shops that they do work at? No, because I hear them talking about people behind their like, they were like, you know, like, and I'm just like, but they're there. They are there because they're building generational wealth for their family, either back home or the community within, right? And it's like, there's always that one person who was like. Nah, I like it here and I like the safety, so I'm gonna stay. Right. Comfortability. No, I always see that. Yes. I always see that. Yeah. I don't I don't blame them though. I do. I, I do. I don't. I don't. I do. if, if, if you if you think of um You talking about being like, comfortable with it with it comfortable with their at? I'm I'm talking about of, being comfortable with 
their safety, like comfortable with where they've made it to, to the point that they don't care about rescuing anyone else or helping anyone else. So you say you don't blame them. Can you please explain? Um, how many people here grew up in a black neighborhood? See. Um, <laughs> and, and when you were growing up in that black neighborhood, how many of you felt like your black neighborhood cared about your well-being? Well, I had the elders, so see. <laughs> so I had the elders, the people looking around. So there was families that, you know, communicated with each other. So. Um, so, so I'll say, I'll say no, none of them cared, but I'm so you're supposed to, so when you get older, are you supposed to remember that? Are you supposed to forget that? So you're supposed supposed to remember the bus stop of someone teasing you about your shoes that you couldn't afford that was on your parents or teasing you about your, um, your mom because she was darker or because you were darker because you were lighter because you're like whatever reason that you can find to be attacked you were going to be attacked on and that your only defense to that attack was either to grow a thick skin or to become an attacker. And then yeah, you survive I, that. I, mm-hmm. And so then once you survive that and become grown, you're supposed to do what? Forget that the individuals that you grew up with were attackers and predatory. And you're supposed oh, to have but, their oh, best Derek, interests at heart. Derek. Can we go into the conversation we had the other day where we were talking about how we were taught to show love or initiate someone into a, a family or a system? How was it? That's how we, that's, it's like to get initiated, you have to be able to cap on someone and receive the cap. Cause I mean, it, the, I, I get what you're saying off a of trauma of that, but it's like, for example, let's say a parent and they didn't have their parents, right? Um, they didn't grow up with their parents at all. So it's like they can't never, it's like they can't miss something they never had. They're going to either take two, they're going to either make two decisions when they have their own child. They're either going to continue that generational curse or they're going to want their children to never experience that ever, like to experience what they went through. And it's like the same thing, for example, like the hood. If you went through a whole bunch of traumatic things in the hood and it's like, well, when I make it, I don't need, I don't have to offer them nothing because they didn't offer anything back to me. Do you want another cycle of that? And it's like, that's where people get in the zone of, are you want another cycle of your people to keep having, being stuck in a total loop? Or do you want to make a shift, a change? And it's like, you have those two people to me. To the people that don't want to make that shift for change can't neither, complain neither about people are getting neither of those people are getting uh, mental help yeah i agree i agree with that i agree so, with that i just think that it takes more than takes more than you know it takes it takes time it takes time and this is why they a lot of young people are targeted a lot of young people are targeted right like a lot of young black men a lot of black women, like the prisons are filled with black bodies, brown bodies. Black women are, you know, brown women are sexually targeted so that like a lot of the, you know, culture has young children. So then, you know, obviously that brings on a different level in life when you got to take care of a child and stuff at such a young age before you finish and grow and level up. Because I'll tell you what, it's only been the last two years that I've really been like, 
on my ish. You know what I'm saying? Like I would say, like, <laughs> I've been handling my business like like two years or so. And I'm, you know, and I was at like 28. You know what I'm saying? But most we all know the old adage in the, the hood is like, you know, like if we make it to 25. And that now that I'm older, I'm looking back, I'm like, that's why, because yeah, you're gonna feel that way that Derek is talking about. You're gonna feel that. I felt that. I know most people probably feel that, like. I'm going to shine on y'all or I'm going to show you how we can make it. But then you grow past that. But not if you die or go to jail. <laughs> like, and you don't grow past it. You die or you go to jail. So that's the thing I noticed the attack is on. It's like not letting these people become full-form adults. And these are the very same people. I'm glad you said that because we can loop it around. Those same people who are seen as young, not 25 yet, still bitter at you know the hood, so they don't want to come together because they're – surviving their environment and they're like i'm never gonna come back give y'all back what they don't get in that time when they're young is when you get older i feel like the number one thing that made me feel better about my my uh my environment growing up and actually looking on it fondly was knowledge once i learned what the reagan era was once i learned what you know all these things that happened to trans you know to, to bring us to this moment and transition us to where we're at. I could look back at my universe and say, oh, well, we were all products of this. But you don't be knowing that at 22, 23. You'd be playing Xbox and hear <laughs> a white boy say some crazy shit to you. You'd be like, wait till I see you in person. And then you show up to the <laughs> tournament and they'd be scared. That's how, that's what really happens, right? But you're like 21, 22, you ready to just go off the Richter. I would never do that now because no kid could say nothing to me on a microphone. That would make me go to a tournament and want to actually carry out these things because I'm old enough. A lot of these people are younger, D. That's all I'm saying. A lot of them is younger, so they not willing to turn around and give back yet because they didn't advance to that age yet where they're like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Like We're all part of this system, whatever, whatever. And so sure, I want I all the people who are in our age group to start, like Trinidad was saying, school all the cats out there now that like, what was happening again? I'm going to say it again. What was happening with the boycott and the buses, you know, that was a new form of transportation and you see the marginalization. Our Xbox and the PlayStation are the buses. This is new. It's not but 20, 30 years old. It's not, it's not, it's not separate. Someone just got paid multi-millions of dollars for League of Legends yesterday. Y'all all saw the shit with the crowd. It was huge, whatever. Someone just got paid millions of dollars yesterday for playing League of Legends and nobody got paid this year for playing Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat sold 5 million copies. It don't make no sense. Like you could write it down. You could do whatever you want. It doesn't make any sense. So you have to dig into that and do your own investigating. Why your bus is you're getting put in the back right now. You getting put in the back. Whether you know it or not, you getting put in the back. Because I bet you, I don't even know this for a fact, but I'm willing to look. Who want to look right now in that League of Legends match and look at all the players on both teams and find somebody black or brown? I want to play that game. Right, I told you we're gonna have new segments on the show coming up. That's our new segment. Who was black or brown at the League of Legends world yesterday? I mean, that's that's just that's just one thing to to see. Like, who, um, who? you're not gonna see it. This, I, I don't even know this for a fact, but I go. I bet you if I go Google yesterday. I mean, we just got a couple beat, of characters. This team beat this team. Ain't not one on either side gonna be a brother. Like I play League of Legends. Why is that? <laughs> We go back to the disparity of how our parents taught us what was acceptable in order to be successful and not have a risk of failure, right? Like esports, gaming, all that, a nerd, being a nerd didn't become cool until maybe five, 10 years ago. Let's just keep it a buck, 
right? So then now everybody's like, oh, Naruto and blah, blah, blah. Like everybody's on the on the wagon. Like I play games. But back in the day, playing games was seen as like, stop, stop playing games, pick up a book. Didn't homeboy write a whole song on it? Read a book, read a book, read a, no. you know what I mean? Like, because it's like, and what was everybody doing at the time? Playing video games, watching TV. But, you know, white, our white counterparts, keep it a buck. They, they were like, oh, snap. Like, there's money in this. If everybody's buying a game, hey, Johnny, I think you should learn how to develop games. Why don't you just design your own game in the, in the garage, you know, in our Beverly Hills garage? Look at half the game companies and see where they came from, garages. And so, obviously, in order to have a garage, you have to own a home. So let me just like, there's just a couple things where I'm just like, yeah, I can look at all these esports teams and see that there's nobody there that actually looks like me. But I also have to understand the disparities that started from when I was a young child that kept me from being successful in this space. You have to be rebellious and say, I don't care what my parents say, I'm going to get a degree and blah, blah, blah. And then also half of these gaming degrees and didn't pop up till five years ago. So how are people learning this? Through generations, being taught and being being it trickled down, where generations were able to be artists, generations were able to be game designers, take apart computers that their parents weren't using anymore and put them back together again. Don't get me started on the disparities there. So now we're trying to play catch up. We're, we're trying to get in the race that was never designed for us to get into. Right. So that's the struggle. That's the ultimate struggle. And when you talk, Derek, when you were talking about, well... You know, I was put, I was made fun of. I was this, I was that. But you know what? This is the one thing that I refuse to do. I refuse to be, what is it? Die, you know, either die a hero or you become the villain. I refuse to be the villain. Like, I can't, like, it's like, you see the the thing with parent. like you had a bad parent. I'm not going to be a father like my father was. I'm not going to be a mother like my mother was. And you end up like one day slapping your child and being like, oh, dang, how did that happen? Because you didn't distinguish, like, you didn't realize that there's, there's your, you watch someone do exactly that thing for how long in your life. And then you actually embodied it because you didn't actively counteract that with something else healthy. Derek's talking about how many of them are getting like therapy. Like, you know, like in the black community, we talk about the disparities around therapy, like, oh, you have a shrink, oh, you know, making fun of you or making it seem like, oh, you you don't need go to church. Like, like people like, and I'm from the, I love the church, but my pastor is not my therapist. Right. I'm sorry, I might get stoned for that, but it's okay. My pastor is not my therapist. I don't get to talk to my pastor one-on-one unless there's marriage therapy, mind you, and that's only three months. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that, so you think I'm going to learn how to be a wife in three months, bro, I'm going to need a whole lifetime, right? But like <laughs> all that to say that, like, um, I just, I really do think that I'll speak for myself personally. I don't want, that's why I, I do what I do so avidly because um, there's like black girls who code, there's girls Inc. I mean, I know most of the women ones, but like the boys and girls club, like it's not that hard to like tap into your local nonprofit organization and be like, how can I help build something within a, a, a pipeline so that there's a pipeline to educate of education? Like now HBCUs, like let's tap into the HBCUs. Well, guess what? Those systems are broken. So we're tapping into a broken system that hasn't even really even figured out how to build endowments that will support the community to attend these schools. 
Like, why does most Black people not go to an HBCU? Because we don't get scholarships. We'll get a scholarship from a white school full blown. And that and that's a, another disparity because I wanted to go to an HBCU, but they didn't have any money for me. I had to pay all of it. And that would have been, you know, a whole nother ge- generational issue because then I'd be paying student loans back when I, honestly, you should pay for me to go to school. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to, you know, there's so many layers to this. And that's why I like, I think the way I do, because I'm like, okay, Epic, you're giving a hundred million to creators who are going to create on Unreal. So can you give me the cheat code on how to get at least 500,000 of that? Because in order to create anything worthwhile, even a prototype, I need at least 350 to 500,000 because I'm not going to do that on my spare time to get 5% back, bro. I'm Gucci. And, but if I had a poverty mindset, I'd be like, oh, snap. Exactly. Well, give me 5,000. Thank you. You can't build anything with 5,000. You can't even pay your rent in in the United States right now with 5,000. Right. Right. That's real. That's real. And that's true. And yep. you do gotta you do gotta make a way. That's the other side of it. I'm gonna always fight for marginalized people because that's just in me. But I also know that you do gotta um you do gotta, you know, you do gotta get up and get out and get something. And there is plenty of opportunities out there, especially now more than ever. So um I mean, Trinidad, Red, um D, Marcus, thank you for this episode. Uh, I feel like I really got to sit back and listen and learn a lot. And that's what I like the most. Steve. So I appreciate y'all. Um, let us know where you're going to be this week, where people can find you before we get out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's that going to? I know. Who are you, who are you pointing at? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have picked somebody. Marcus, go ahead. Yeah. Uh... This week, I'm doing a virtual booth during my lunch break for my day job at this this virtual esports and gaming conference. So I can promote the book. You know, I, 18 months into this, man, I'm just trying to, to get this book ready for Black Friday. So it's coming together. Yeah. So that's what I'll be doing. It's, it's hustling, hustling, struggle, hustle, flow all week. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Love to hear it. How about you, Red? Uh, this week, well, this week coming up, I'll I'll be in Vegas. So um. Oh wow! Yeah. Are you going to <laughs> he Vegas? said, "Wow!" Oh, uh, he said, "What?" Or is it one of those oh yeah, red I'm going. No, it's not a secret. Wow, you sound like my mother. <laughs> like, one of those secret red missions, girl. Where are you going? <laughs> now I'm actually going to a festival, um, and then I may be seeing what uh, hip hop has in store too, because he'll be in Vegas too for a crypto uh, event as well with Saitama. Um, so. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be a little busy, busy week out there. I haven't been to Vegas in a very long time. So, yeah. Well, welcome back, Red. How that that boy Christopher <laughs> Laporte? You know what's going on. Yeah. How about you, Trinidad? What's what's going on for the week? Where can they find you? Tell everybody where they can get up with you. I've said they just got these gems dropped on their head today. Well, you can find me on Twitter. This is Trini or Instagram. This is Trini or LinkedIn, Trinidad Hermida. Um, I have a couple of um, interviews. I was honored for the work that I do in gaming at the Black and Game Awards. And so that's airing on the 13th of November. Um, and prior to that, I hip hop, I might be doing an interview with hip hop. I might be doing an interview with another um, couple of 
PRA agencies. Uh, and I'm just, just for anybody who's watching, who's interested in, in getting into the game industry or trying to learn more and, or may have something that they're like, their imposter syndrome has told them that they can't do hit me up on LinkedIn. And even though I have a ton of messages in there, I always get to them. Um, and so again, um, I believe that we can change the game. And if you don't know, if you've never heard of web three, I think I posted, I don't know if I did, but if I didn't, I'll post like a web three for dummies on my LinkedIn. Um, for those who are like, what's blockchain, what's crypto, what's this, you know, I just think that there's, um, there's a lot of opportunity here. We will, uh, I don't care what anybody says. I think we're going to a cashless society at some point. And so if you don't yeah. know about crypto, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we are going that route, but it's happening right before our eyes. And so, um, get with the program and understand. And Derek introduced me to, um, another Derek Jones, I believe, who has um, one of the first black owned crypto wallets. So, um, and next week, not the week next week, but the week after I'll be speaking at the black uh, fintech black. So it's fintechblk.com. I'll be there mm -hmm. along with, I believe Derek Jones will be there as well. And my co-founder, Justin from Mr. Augmented, there'll be a bunch of people who are doing some dope things in, in this space. Awesome. Awesome. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope. How about you, D? What you got going on for the week? Where can we find you? Uh, you know, the grind just continues, man. Uh, trying to work on this. Diversity okay. inclusion thing. The battle, man. I'm, that war doesn't end. It never stops, right? It never it stops. stops. It never stops. It never stops. But I appreciate you as a soldier out there. Appreciate all y'all, all the things you do. Thank you so much. Um, this episode has been recorded um, and dropped from the live stream, but we're going to restream it live. So if you're getting this restream, thank you for tuning in um, and hanging out with us. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, thank you for continuing hanging out with us uh, as we continue our journey to be the number one podcast. But we already the number one podcast in esports, gaming, entrepreneurship, education. It's Eat for Life. It's your boy Chosen One, the Golden One. Holla back. Get your dollar back. We'll see you on the next one, baby. Later. Peace. Peace. Gamer is Central Florida's premier esports consultant for forward-thinking gamers, brands, and organizations. We create customized gaming-centric campaigns, programs, and initiatives to seamlessly support your business goals. Visit highpointgamer.com for more info.